Acts chapter 14. I hope this is good. I hope the mic's on. I, um, if it isn't, I, you know, I'll just go home this afternoon and I'll record it and I'll post it and um, then I'll take uh, the internet uh, router and smash it with a hammer. Acts chapter 14, if I can get there again. I lost it when I put my man bun in. Why are you laughing? <laughs> oh, you could cry. Are you laughing because you're thinking of all the people from all over the USA that, that know you and are logging on and thinking, what kind of show are they putting on? <laughs> it's not a show, but it, never mind. I'm going to keep going. Okay, so uh, the dude gets healed and he stands up. <laughs> Verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city and probably had a good sound system that didn't cut out, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. But the Jewish folks came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had anointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting and good Wi-Fi, they committed themselves to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together they went to district assembly and they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, no, your mic was cutting out, Marilyn says, trying not to agree with you. I'm going to choose to ignore that. Um, 
At least if this old man were preaching, it would be heard, my dad says. Wow. Throwing stones from the living room, from the couch. Yeah. I'm going to just keep rolling. Um, if I can reach my coffee, we'll have a good old time. I, uh, I remember the first time uh, I was in this building. I was, must have been, I mean, it's, I probably was in there before then, but the first time I have memory of uh, was probably 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that range. Uh, I remember Pastor Grant was doing a vacation Bible school, and uh, Virginia, you were probably, yeah, we're about the same age, so you were a young adult helping then too, and so I brought over some youth from West Seattle, and we, we kind of hung out and played uh, and, and hung out with the kids and did the crafts and ate the snacks, and we just did the vacation Bible school for three days. And then I remember, because you know, right, if, if you do the v- vacation Bible school, uh, you have to have a big Sunday the following. Like, that's the celebratory day. And so I remember there was this contentious moment in the Madsen household because uh, my dad, right, was the pastor at West Seattle and probably wasn't entirely sanctified yet. Uh, so when I told him that not only I, but I was going to take some of the teens from our church and we were not going to attend the service at West Seattle, but we were going to attend the service at Beacon Hill, that was not, it didn't go over that well. I mean, it wasn't a huge fight or anything, uh, but yeah, I mean, because, right, you want, you, you're putting on church, you want the people in your service. I remember coming, and, and it, it ended up not being a thing, but it was just, it was, it was uh, I remember those times. It was fun to be here, though, with this community and to, to do all the fun things we did. I remember about that same time, I had, uh, I had somehow, maybe my dad pulled some strings and got you to let us come to your church for an overnighter. I know you don't do those things anymore. And we had the most epic game of capture the flag and hide and go seek uh, in the wee hours of the morning at Seattle First Church of the Nazarene, which, which is what? That's why you don't do it anymore? But it was so good. You're building, Seattle First is so, it's like, the best hide-and-go-seek church ever. Um, you still haven't found some people. We should have like a, a staff Christmas party where we play hide-and-go-seek there. That'd be awesome. Um, but I, it's, it's interesting now that we're in this collaboration season to think about the memories I have with these different um, collaboration partners. I remember it was my first time seeing Mosaic. Was uh, By the way, somebody said intermittent but brief freezing. At this point, just don't tell me it's freezing. I don't want to know. <laughs> I just want to keep going. Uh, if you have questions or thoughts on the sermon, love that. But don't tell us it's freezing. Let's just let it pretend that it's great. Um, I remember uh, my first interview for a youth pastor gig was in Mosaic. It was my first time seeing Mosaic. I loved Mosaic, didn't love the interview, didn't get the job, but I loved Mosaic. Um, so it's just fun to come and now collaborate with you all in this season, this weird season we're in. Uh, in these different communities that at some level I have ties to that go way back. I remember the year before I was going to be the pastor. Kristen uh, and Sarah from our church went to district assembly, and I had heard all these grand reports of uh, the breakout classes they had at district assembly, and, and one of their favorites was going to hear Pastor Mark speak about Mosaic at district assembly. And, and, and I remember them coming back and saying, hey, when you get here, can we do a coffee shop in our church? So it's like these little kind of ties together that, that it's fun now that we're fleshing uh, it out together. I want to ask a question. 
question for us who are collaborating together. So whether you're a part of uh, the Beacon Hill Parish, or you're most connected to the, the Wallingford Parish, or, or the West Seattle Parish. And this is not a unique question for me. I am, I'm blatantly stealing this question. No need to do a recount. I will admit I'm stealing this question. <laughs> that was a joke. Don't be mad out there. You can't be mad. We're flying by the seat of our pants here. Here's the question. <laughs> I just love Pastor Mark's response. I'm going to see how awkward I can make it. Just That's what's keeping me going. The question is, in this season of the church, are we in a season, to use the metaphor, that feels like an iceberg? Or are we, are we in a season that feels like an ice age? Again, I'm blatantly stealing this question from conversations I've heard around the district and other uh, kind of church leadership conversations. But the question is, is the church in Western culture, and we might even say America at this point, is the church, is what we're facing simply an iceberg that if we can just get around it, not hit it, do minimal damage, and move on, everything will be okay? Or are we, in fact, in an ice age where it's not just a matter of getting around it, but things have fundamentally changed? My father says icebreaker. I don't think that was one of the options. <laughs> we'll go. I'm going to start with the people in the room um, because I'm going to give some time. And, and my secret hope is that I'm going to go to Pastor Laura first, and she's going to say, what's the question? Pastor Laura, what's your answer? Oh, dear. She says some of both. Tabitha says ice age. Okay. Ken Steve, what do you say? Iceberg. Okay. Phil says dry ice. We've got a bunch of rule breakers. Pastor Regina, what would you say? A little bit of both. Okay. LOL, Mark. Tell them the Titanic. Pastor Mark, what would you say? I'm kind of in the both camp, but it's the fact that we're seeing an iceberg, and then as I look around, I'm seeing more and more icebergs that make me think that it's headed to an ice age. Mm. And it all seems cold. It all seems cold, especially my heart. <laughs> the conversation, if, you were, um, if, you're, if you're among pastor folks, drinking lots of coffee, sitting around tables, Ken Senior says, ice, ice, baby. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on today. Um, the conversation in church circles is that while, yes, uh, there may be some icebergs to avoid, that the fundamental culture seems to have shifted. That it would appear, especially in Western culture and for the church in America, that, that we may in fact be in an ice age. That it's not simply a matter of getting past COVID or getting past A, B, or C, and then we'll be back to normal and normal will be okay. But that normal is long gone, and in fact, normal may have been gone in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or early 2000s. And in fact, what we are now entering into is a fundamental new reality, and that for the church, if we are to be the church embodying the realities of the kingdom in the world, that instead of simply trying to go back to what used to work back then, that we need to embrace the new reality and ask, where is the Spirit leading now? It's interesting now that we've been collaborating for a few months. Those are some of the conversations that are beginning to come up. 
amongst our different parishes and different leaders and different ideas that we have. It's why I love this text today. Fair warning, three weeks ago I hated this text. I thought it was simply a filler text that I would get stuck with prior to Advent and then you get the good stuff. But I, I am convinced this is like, this is, this is such an inspiring text. It's interesting to me that, um, so Paul and Barnabas, right, they're, they're entering or ending the uh, first, what most scholars call the first missionary journey. Uh, do you know why they call this the first missionary journey? Because it was their first missionary journey. <laughs> These are the nuggets you get at this grand collaboration. It's, they're coming to the end of their first missionary journey. But in this first missionary journey, this is the first time they go to a city where there is no kind of, there's no synagogue. There's no, I, and I hate the word pagan, so forgive me for using the word pagan, but in the midst of this moment, I'm not coming up with a better word. But this is the first city they go to where it's just the pagan folks, right? There's no, um, there's no folks where they can begin in a synagogue who have similar kind of beginning stories, stories that begin in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. There's no community that they could go to and they can begin their journey of being the church with stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's no community that they can find common ground about the liberating nature of a God who, who through Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, oh yeah, by the way, Hebrew lives matter. And so this is the first time in the book of Acts where they have to begin this embodiment of the realities of the kingdom. They have to begin what it means to be church from a new place. Not in a synagogue, not in a religious service, but out in the community with people who don't start at the same place. Phil says, the Wi-Fi kicked out and they had to reboot a second missionary journey. <laughs> and so you might say that if we were to set aside Paul and Barnabas and ask them, are you guys facing an iceberg or an ice age? Again, every metaphor breaks down. They probably say this is an ice age. Reality, especially in the life, death, and resurrection of this Jesus, has fundamentally changed. And now we are taking this new reality to cultures and places, particularly the Gentiles, who have no sense of where our roots have come from. And so it's fascinating to me that Paul begins, he doesn't begin by starting a church. He doesn't begin by starting a religious service. He doesn't begin by uh, making a website or coming up with a three-step plan of how we're going to make this thing go boom. Paul begins by going to the marketplace. He begins by going to where the people are. He, he begins by going to where the community gathers. Pastor Bonnie says, I agree with Phil. Pastor Bonnie, why don't you ever say you agree with Pastor Sean? Just kidding, Pastor Bonnie. I miss you, love you. It was good to see you yesterday. Paul begins where the community is at. 
Again, there's some scholars that want to say, no, 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 he's giving a sermon, Sean. But I, I think if you actually kind of dive into that culture, he is beginning where the community happens. And from within that Greek kind of culture, one of the things you, you have are these oratory speeches that goes back and forth. So I, I'm convinced, and I think I'm right about this, that what Paul does is he goes to where the marketplace of the ideas is happening and engages there. I think it's interesting that we in the church so often, like if you think about how much of our time is spent on the Sunday morning experience, the Wednesday night experience, the Sunday school experience, it's like 90% of our ideas, or 90% of our ideas, 90% of our energy is often directed towards a service, a worship context. And then we have 10% maybe set aside if we're lucky to go and engage our communities. It's interesting to me that Paul engages here in the community. And it's fascinating, and, and Pastor Mark and Pastor Regina and Pastor Sarah will pick up on this because I'm blatantly stealing from communities on mission here. But, but he doesn't begin with a good sermon. He doesn't good, begin with a good 16-point theology, an article of faith. He begins with he and Barnabas this community who see themselves on this mission, looking at the realities of what is in front of them and seeing somebody who has need. And reaching out to this person who has need and giving themselves to the restoration and healing of need. So in many ways, Paul and Barnabas are the embodiment of this community that is on mission. Their first endeavor is not primarily a worship service. Their first endeavor is to give of themselves where there is need within community, within where the people gather. Isn't it interesting then that the response as Paul and Barnabas, it's not Paul's speech that gets people talking. Although you could argue he's a pretty good speaker, they probably respond to that. But, but this, this, this giving where there is need raises all sorts of questions and fascination from the, from the people that are gathered there. And again, I think for those of us who've grown up in the church, we, we, you know, we spiritualize everything. We kind of run with this, and this becomes kind of one of those grand, epic Bible stories for us. And they begin to run, and they think they're one of the gods. They're, they're Zeus, and there's Hermes, and and I, and I want to slow down and, 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 and remind ourselves that this is a 2,000-year-old story. This is a very human response. These people who have no gospel affiliation are simply responding to this moment for two people who have now engaged in their community, who have given to a need, and they are interpreting it through their worldview. This, this, this story, by the way, or this thought that they might be Zeus and Hermes comes literally out of... Um, a kind of a mythic story that would have that would have been something that city would have thought. It, there's a there's a there kind of folklore about how Zeus and Hermes would have visited a village and the village and they would have come visiting a village as a poor couple and uh, the village largely would have ignored these people in need, kind of like the the gospel we read earlier today. But one very poor old couple took them in and fed them, and so kind of the mythology of this village is is it matters how we care for folks especially those in need. And so out of the kind of mythology and the worldview that this village has, they begin to interpret these two folks who have come as a community on mission. 
I think that says something to us in the church. That the beginning place for us maybe isn't to plant more churches that have more services and invite people who have no affiliation to why would I even ever think about giving up brunch and football to go to a religious service? Not that that's bad, there's place for that, but maybe that isn't in the age of an ice age the best place to begin for the church. Maybe the best place to begin is where the people are engaging where there is a need. And as the community begins to interpret a community of folks giving themselves to the needs that are at hand, and they begin to interpret that through their own lens, through their own worldview, now we have a place to engage in conversation. And so Paul and Barnabas engage in the conversation and begin to point them to say, no, 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 this isn't Zeus, this isn't... And by the way, I don't even think we should throw that under the bus because we realize in our own culture, right, people have worldviews. And their worldview may not be Zeus and Hermes, but, 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 but we could, if we had a conversation on a whiteboard, we could name the worldviews people share. Rugged individualism. The worldviews of just go and be a good person, right? And so Paul and Barnabas begin to engage with these folks about worldview and naming for them what they think ultimate reality is, in particular, the kingdom of God. And from within this context, what we see is it's going pretty well. I, I wonder, and in my, in, my basic instinct is this, if we in the church gave more of our time to engaging our community where it's at and less time to just planning epic worship services that will ultimately fail because technology sucks. Not sure if you're supposed to say that word in church, but I just did. I wonder if we would find that we had a greater seat at the table in the, in, in the larger culture and the ideas that are driving our culture. It's interesting that for Paul and Barnabas, that where they actually find trouble is not in the wider culture of which they've now engaged. Where they find trouble is the church. Because oftentimes from within the religious community, and I've grown up in the religious community, I love the religious community. I, I plan to, Parker and Tanner are going to be so tired of the church by the time it's over. They're just, they're going to have to be to church. They, I mean, we're just going to be there. We're going to be there Sunday mornings. We're going to be there Wednesday nights. We're going to, I mean, Yeah. So please don't hear this as an insult. I've grown up in it. I love it. It's made me my quirky self that you can't get rid of now. But notice that it is the religious community. It's the church of that day that gives them the trouble. And why? Because it is those that most want to conserve what they think is absolute who are so profoundly nervous at the new work Paul and Barnabas are getting them, giving themselves to reaching out in ways we don't think they should to people who clearly shouldn't be reached out to. And so the church wants to ring in the people that most makes them nervous. And not just ring them in, the church wants to throw rocks at the people that most make them nervous. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk this. Um, I know I'm going to bring up a name that I know is a bit taboo in the church, but but frankly, I think it fits within the context of this sermon. About three weeks ago, I was invited to do a Zoom call with one of, um, one of the theologians that's most influenced at least my early theology. 
I ended up not being able to do the Zoom call uh, because we ended up having a really, really uh, important meeting kind of with our collaboration. But the Zoom call included Rob Bell. Um, I, I know Rob Bell carries uh, a lot of opinion, so I would ask you to set aside that opinion for now. I, he's influenced me. Uh, I have really appreciated uh, his work. He's framed for me some ways of thinking about the divine, ways of thinking about the work we do that have kept me coming back. So I've been reading, I, I, the, the, the Zoom call was supposed to be about his new book, Everything is Spiritual, and it's, it, it's a book uh, that is different than his other works and that it's deeply personal and, and built within deep theology and deep ideas is his story. And so I couldn't, I couldn't help but studying for this sermon, thinking about uh, this sermon about Paul and Barnabas going and doing a new thing and, and the religious conserving community throwing rocks at him without thinking deeply about the chapter where he talks about love wins. In this moment where he perceived, and I would, I mean, why question it? He perceived that at the heart of the divine, he was being driven to give himself to a deepening faith, a deepening exploration of following this Jesus who is love. And his perception that how, what happened was that rocks got thrown at him. Maybe not in the form of little rocks, but rocks in the form of tweets, like the one that became most uh, famous, Farewell, Rob Bell. And if you follow, read the book, and you kind of follow his career, you find that, that as he gave himself to the work in new ways, this new work made some very uncomfortable and ultimately pushed him outside the city where they left him for dead. As somebody who's grown up in the church, as somebody who deeply loves the church, as somebody who refuses to leave the church, I, I can't imagine um, ever walking away from it. I, I say this as somebody who is a part of the inside church, as a part who deeply loves folks, who most want to conserve some things. And as, as somebody, I, there are some things I want to conserve. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And frankly, there's probably some bathwater that's worth keeping. But if I could give us a gift, it would, it would be for us all to take a deep breath and to recognize that following Jesus into the realities of the kingdom is going, especially in a context like, like Seattle, especially in urban contexts like cities in America, following Jesus into the realities of the kingdom is going to mean we have to do things in different ways. It's going to mean instead of spending 90% of our time on worship services and 10% of our time in the community, we might have to flip that or at least even it out to a more 50-50 split. And while that may feel different, it ought not make us nervous because it may simply be that we are following the lead of the Spirit, prompting us to enter into new reality for the sake of the kingdom. My favorite verse in this text that we're studying today is that when the, when the religious community left Paul for dead, Paul, as the church gathers around him, gets back up. And what does he do? He heads back into the city. 
For those of us who cannot get away from the city, we love the city. We're called to the city. We are so compelled about what it means to live out this reality of the kingdom in the city. There, we could all, if we, if we were honest, which we're not going to be because it's online and anybody could see it, but if we were honest and the mics were turned off, we could all share moments and ways that it has felt like rocks have been thrown at us. But I love in this collaboration of ideas in this room and in the collaboration of folks gathered around on couches or pouring new Keurigs, I love that there is this consensus that as many rocks that have hit us, we keep standing up and going back into the city. Because we cannot help but be compelled about the new reality of the kingdom that we think Spirit is inviting us into. I got to close. Please don't say amen to that. But it's fascinating then how Paul and Barnabas end this text. If it was me and I had been left for dead with rocks chucked at my head, there's a couple moves I would make. The first is probably I'd get on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I would let everyone know of all the injustice. I would throw some serious shade at all the rock throwers. And then I'd log off and I'd go get an oat milk latte and a scone. And then I'd go back to Instagram and I'd throw more shade. And then I would probably go home. And I'd say, Kristen, I think we're done. I think it's time to go find a future for Tanner and Parker that includes more trips to Lake Tahoe and more trips to Splash Mountain at the happiest place on earth. But it's interesting to me that Paul and Barnabas, they just get on the tour bus and keep going. Keep going to all the communities that they have given themselves to mission. Checking in, checking out, seeing how the church is doing. Seeing where they need some leadership. Seeing where, where they can encourage. Seeing where they might need to push a little bit. Investing in where God was leading. So I don't know where we are, if we're an ice age or an iceberg. I, I tend to answer that question that I think, it, to me, it probably seems like an ice age. It sure feels like we have entered into a new reality. But may we, people gathered in West Seattle, people gathered in Wallingford, people gathered in Beacon Hill, people gathered in Eastern Washington and Vancouver, Washington and New Mexico and Arizona. I'm trying to think of all the places I know people are tuning in at different times. South Dakota, Middleton, Idaho. May we not be discouraged in this season by this new reality. But may we be compelled as a community gathered together digitally, gathered together locally in the city of Seattle who have been called to the mission of the kingdom of God, who have been called to embody this in new ways, even ways that might make a few nervous. And even, may we be a people that even when rocks are thrown, may we get back up, get our oat milk lattes, and head right back into the city that God has called us.
And may we do it with all the grace and all the peace that he has given. Amen? Let's have a meal.